Chapter 18 of The Hunted Woman. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Reading done by Jules Harlock. The Hunted Woman by James Oliver Curwood. Chapter 18. The next morning when aldous joined the engineer in the dining-room below he was disappointed to find the breakfast-table prepared for two instead of four it was evident that peggy blackton and joanne were not going to interrupt their beauty nap on their account blackton saw his friend's inquiring look and chuckled guess we'll have to get along without him this morning old man lord bless me did you hear them last night after you went to bed no you were too far away chuckled blackton again i was in the room across the hall from them you see old man peggy sometimes gets fairly starved for the right sort of company up here and last night they didn't go to bed until after twelve o'clock i looked at my watch maybe they were in bed but i could hear em buzzin like two bees and every little while they giggled and then go on and buzzin again by george there wasn't a break in it when one let up the other'd begin and sometimes i guess they were both going at once consequently they're sleeping now when breakfast was finished blackton looked at his watch seven o'clock he said we'll leave word for the girls to be ready at nine what are you going to do in the meantime aldous hunt up macdonald probably and i'll run down and take a look at the work as they left the house the engineer nodded down the road macdonald was coming he has saved you the trouble he said remember aldous nine o'clock sharp a moment later aldous was advancing to meet the old mountaineer they've gone johnny was donald's first greeting gone yes the whole bunch quade culveran debar and the woman who rode the bear they've gone hide and hair and nobody seems to know where aldous was staring also resumed old donald slowly culveran's outfit is gone twenty horses including six saddles and likewise others have gone but i can't find out who gone repeated aldous again macdonald nodded and that means that culveran ain't lost any time in getting under way for the golds said donald debar is with him and probably the woman likewise three cutthroats to fill the other saddles they've gone prepared to fight and quade old donald hunched his shoulders and suddenly john's face grew dark and hard i understand he spoke half under his breath quade has disappeared but he isn't with culver ran he wants us to believe he is gone he wants to throw us off our guard but he's watching and waiting somewhere like a hawk to swoop down on joanne he that's it broke in macdonald hoarsely that's it johnny it's his old trick his old trick with women there's a hundred men who've got to do his bidding do it or get out of the mountains and we've got to watch joanne we have johnny if she should disappear 
Aldous waited. You'd never find her again, so help me God, you wouldn't, Johnny, he finished. We'll watch her, said Aldous quietly. I'll be with her today, Mac, and tonight I'll come down to the camp in a coulee to compare notes with you. They can't very well seal her out of Blackton's house while I'm gone. For an hour after MacDonald left him, he walked about in the neighborhood of the Blackton bungalow, smoking his pipe. Not until he saw the contractor drive up in the buckboard did he return. Joanne and Peggy were more than prompt. They were waiting. If such a thing were possible, Joanne was more radiantly lovely than the night before. To Aldous she became more beautiful every time he looked at her. But this morning he did not speak what was in his heart when, for a moment, he held her hand and looked into her eyes. Instead, he said, Good morning, Lady Grey. Have you used? I have, she smiled. Only it's Potterdam's tar soap and not the other. And you? Have you not shaved, John Aldous? Great Scott, so I haven't he explained, rubbing his chin. But I did yesterday afternoon, Lady Grey. And you will again this afternoon, if you please, she commanded. I don't like bristles. But in the wilderness, one can shave as well as another can make curls, she reminded him. And there came an adorable little dimple at the corner of her mouth as she looked towards Paul Blackton. Aldous was glad that Paul and Peggy Blackton did most of the talking that morning. They spent half an hour where the explosion of the night before had blown out the side of the mountain, and then drove on to Coyote Number 28. It was in the face of a sandstone cliff, and all they could see of it when they got out of the wagon was a dark hole in the wall of rock. Not a soul was about, and Blackton rubbed his hands with satisfaction. Everything is completed, he said. Greg put in the last packing this morning, and all we are waiting for now is four o'clock this afternoon. The hole in the mountain was perhaps four feet square. Ten feet in front of it, the engineer paused and pointed to the ground. Up out of the earth came two wires, which led away from the mountain of the cavern. Those wires go down to the explosives, he explained. They're battery wires half a mile long, but we don't attach the battery until the final moment, as you saw last night. There might be an accident. He bent his tall body and entered the mouth of the cavern, leading his wife by the hand. Observing that Joanne had seen this attention on the contractor's part, Aldous held out his own hand, and Joanne accepted it. For perhaps twenty feet they followed the Blacktons with lowered heads. They seemed to have entered a black, cold pit, sloping slightly downward, and only faintly could they see Blackton when he straightened. His voice came strange and sepulchral. You can stand up now. We're in the chamber. Don't move or you might stumble over something. There ought to be a lantern here. He struck a match and, as he moved slowly towards a wall of blackness, searching for the lantern, he called back encouragingly through the gloom. You folks are now standing right over ten tons of dynamite, and there's another five tons of black powder. 
a little shriek from peggy blackton stopped him and his match went out what in heaven's name is the matter he asked anxiously peggy why in heaven's name do you light a match then with us standing over all those tons of dynamite demanded peggy paul blackton you're the engineer's laughter was like a giant roar in the cavern and joanne gave a gasp while peggy shiveringly caught aldous by the arm there i've got the lantern exclaimed blackton there isn't any danger not a bit wait a minute and i'll tell you all about it he lighted the lantern and in the glow of it joanne and peggy's faces were white and startled why bless my soul i didn't mean to frighten you he cried i was just telling you facts see we're standing on a solid floor four feet of packed rock and cement the dynamite and black powder are under that we're in a chamber a cave an artificial cavern it's forty feet deep twenty feet wide and about seven feet high he held the lantern even with his shoulders and walked deeper into the cavern as he spoke the others followed they passed a keg on which was a half-burned candle close to the keg was an empty box beyond these things the cavern was empty i thought it was full of powder and dynamite apologized peggy you see it's like this blackton began we put the powder and the dynamite down there and pack it over solid with rock and cement if we didn't leave this big air chamber above it there would only be one explosion and probably two-thirds of the explosive would not fire and would be lost this chamber corrects that you heard a dozen explosions last night and you'll hear a dozen this afternoon and the biggest explosion of all is usually the fourth or fifth a coyote isn't like an ordinary blast or shot it's a mighty expensive thing and you see it means a lot of work now if someone were to touch off those explosives at this minute what's the matter peggy are you cold you're shivering yes chattered peggy aldous felt joanne tugging at his hand let's take mrs blackton out she whispered i'm i'm afraid she'll take cold in spite of himself aldous could not restrain his laughter until they had got through the tunnel out in the sunlight he looked at joanne still holding her hand she withdrew it looking at him accusingly lord bless me exclaimed blackton who seemed to understand at last there's no danger not a bit but i'd rather look at it from outside paul dear said mrs blackton but peggy if it went off now you'd be in just as bad shape out here i don't think we'd be quite so messy really i don't dear she persisted lord bless me he gasped and they'd probably be able to find something of us she added not a button peggy then i'm going to move if you please and suiting her action to the word peggy led the way to the buckboard there she paused and took one of her husband's big hands fondly in both of her own it's perfectly wonderful paul and i'm proud of you she said but honestly dear i can enjoy it so much better at four o'clock this afternoon smiling blackton lifted her into the buckboard 
That's why I wish Paul had been a preacher or something like that, she confided to Joanne as they drove homeward. I'm growing old just thinking of him working over that horrid dynamite and powder all the time. Every little while someone is blown into nothing. I believe, said Joanne, that I'd like to do something like that if I were a man. I'd want to be a man, not that preachers aren't men, Peggy dear, but I'd want to do things, like blowing up mountains, for instance, or finding buried cities, or, she whispered, very, very softly under her breath, writing books, John Aldous. Only Aldous heard those last words, and Joanne gave a sharp little cry. And when Peggy asked her what the matter was, Joanne did not tell her that John Aldous had almost broken her hand on the opposite side, for Joanne was riding between the two. It's lame for life, she said to him half an hour later, when he was bidding her good-bye, preparatory to accompanying Blackton down to the working steel, and I deserve it for trying to be kind to you. I think some writers of books are are perfectly intolerable. Won't you take a little walk with me right after dinner? He was asking for the twentieth time. I doubt it very, very much. Please, Lady Grey, I may possibly think about it. With that she left him, and she did not look back as she and Peggy Blackton went into the house. But as they drove away, they saw two faces at the window that overlooked the townward road and the two hands were waving goodbye. Both could not be Peggy Blackton's hands. Joanne and I are going for a walk this afternoon, Blackton, said Aldous, and I just want to tell you not to worry if we're not back by four o'clock. Don't wait for us. We may be watching the blow-up from the top of some mountain. Blackton chuckled. Don't blame you, he said. From an observer's point of view, John, it looks to me as though you were going to have something more than hope to live on pretty soon. I, I hope so. And when I was going with Peggy, I wouldn't have traded a quiet little walk with her, like this you're suggesting, for a front seat look at a blow-up of the whole Rocky Mountain system. And you won't forget to tell Mrs. Blackton that we may not return by four o'clock. I will not, and... Blackton puffed hard at his pipe, and, John, the Tete Juan preacher, is our nearest neighbor, he finished. From then until dinner time, John Aldous lived in an atmosphere that was not quite real, but a little like a dream. His hopes and his happiness were at their highest. He knew that Joanne would go walking with him that afternoon, and in spite of his most serious efforts to argue to the contrary, he could not keep down the feeling that the event would mean a great deal for him. Almost feverishly, he interested himself in Paul Blackton's work. When they returned to the bungalow a little before noon, he went to his room, shaved himself, and in other ways prepared for dinner. Joanne and the Blacktons were waiting when he came down. His first look at Joanne assured him she was dressed in a soft gray walking suit. Never had the preparation of a dinner seemed so slow to him, and a dozen times he found himself inwardly swearing at Tom, the Chinese cook. It was one o'clock before they sat down at the table, and it was two o'clock when they arose. 
it was a quarter after two when joanne and he left the bungalow shall we wander up on the mountain he asked it would be fine to look down upon the explosion i have noticed that in some things you are very observant said joanne ignoring his question in the matter of curls for instance you are unapproachable in other words you are quite blind john aldous what do you mean he asked bewildered i lost my scarf this morning and you did not notice it it is quite an unusual scarf i bought it in cairo and i don't want to have it blown up you mean yes i must have dropped it in the cavern i had it when we entered then we'll return for it he volunteered we'll still have plenty of time to climb up the mountain before the explosion twenty minutes later they came to the dark mouth of the tunnel there was no one in sight and for a moment aldous searched for matches in his pocket wait here he said i won't be gone two minutes he entered and when he came to the chamber he struck a match the lantern was on an empty box he lighted it and began looking for the scarf suddenly he heard a sound he turned and saw joanne standing in the glow of the lantern can you find it she asked i haven't yet they bent over the rock floor and in a moment joanne gave a little exclamation of pleasure as she caught up the scarf in that same moment as they straightened and faced each other john aldous felt his heart cease beating and joanne's face had gone white as death the rock-walled chamber was a tremble they heard a sullen distant roaring and as aldous caught joanne's hand and sprang toward the tunnel the roar grew into a deafening crash and a gale of wind rushed into their faces blowing out the lantern and leaving them in darkness the mountain seemed crumbling about them and above the sound of it rang out a wild despairing cry from joanne's lips for there was no longer the brightness of sunshine at the end of the tunnel but darkness utter darkness and through that tunnel there came a deluge of dust and rock that flung them back into the blackness of the pit and separated them john john aldous i am here joanne i will light the lantern his groping hands found the lantern he relighted it and joanne crept to his side her face as white as the face of death he held the lantern above him and together they stared at where the tunnel had been a mass of rock met their eyes the tunnel was choked and then slowly each turned to the other and each knew that the other understood for it was death that whispered about them now in the restless air of the rock-walled tomb a terrible death and their lips spoke no words as their eyes met in that fearful and silent understanding. End of chapter 18